Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you and with my family as well. Uh, greetings from the brethren in Tacoma, Washington. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, um, and I would like to uh, give a little bit of an introduction before we open uh, uh, with reading God's Word. As the, we welcome the new year tomorrow, resolutions, of course, are on people's minds all around the world. Gym memberships are peaking. People will hope and dream for the new year to be better than the last year. And there's nothing wrong with growing in discipline and resolving to improve in different areas of your life. In fact, I would urge you to see that the Scriptures teach us of the importance of continuing to do this spiritually. Paul tells us to fight the good fight and not to become complacent in our walk with the Lord. So it is for that reason and with this in mind that I have chosen 2 Chronicles 16 for our passage this morning. And because we are parachuting into this passage, it is important to give a little bit of context for what we are about to read. Throughout the Bible, we read of king after king who did not walk in the ways of the Lord. But every now and then you hear of a different king, a king who did follow God's ways. And here in the book of Chronicles, we read of King Asa. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord God. He took away the altars of the high places and false worship and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram. So far, so good. Many kings would not have even done this. Now during his reign, we learn of an interesting account. We read that an Ethiopian army came out against Asa with an army of a million men, and 300 chariots. This would have been the terrifying thing because Asa's army was half that size. So he cried out to God for help. In response to his cries for help, we read in the chapters preceding our text today that the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa. And Asa carried away much spoil. And theologians note that it was that spoil that was likely used to fill the temple of the Lord with sacred gifts and offerings of gold and silver. After this, God sent a prophet to King Asa reminding him of the importance of continuing to seek after the Lord. And in response, Asa obeyed this prophet. He put away all the idols in the land, and in fact, he went even further we read they entered into a covenant commitment to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, Asa said he should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. And if that were not enough, he also removed his mother from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. He cut down her Asherah image, crushed it, and burned it in the book Brook Kidron. But then, in the, very, in the line of text that we read, um, the high places were not taken out of Israel. 
the very next line is, Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all the days, all his days, and he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So that's the context. Up to this point, we see that Asa has followed God's word. He's even gone the extra mile to trust God. He's a great guy. However, we note that the author highlights one particular thing up to this point. The fact that Asa did not remove the high places. So with that context, let's read what happens next. We'll begin reading of God's word from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ajan, Dan, Abemaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let the work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been building. And with them he built Giba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give support, strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bear that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art. And they made a very great fire in his honor. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look towards your holy and inspired and authoritative word, we ask that you would speak to us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would use your servant to glorify your holy name and that you would drive us to repentance and drive us to your feet through your word. Speak to us this morning, for we are listening. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, what happened to King Asa? He had started off so well. At the start of his life, we see a man who's determined to fight for the Lord and his kingdom. He made tremendous sacrifices, unpopular decisions. He was determined to get rid of the gods, idols, and pagan worship. He was willing to face his mother and remove her from office, which was no small thing. She was, as the text says, queen mother, which was a very important role. Like King David and Goliath, Asa had a faith in God that enabled him to be willing to face the giant Ethiopian army that was twice the size of his. That was a big deal and was a complete act of faith. So what changed? What happened to Asa from these previous chapters? How did he go from being a man of God to being a hard-hearted king? It seems that it was not just one thing, but several things that contributed to his final days being far different than his first days. So let's examine this text. First, in the first uh, preceding two chapters, we read that at one point early in his reign, Asa did not put away all the high places of false worship. Excuse me, did put away all the high places of false worship. But then, after years of success and peace all around, those high places must have crept back in and were reestablished. It seemed that this happened from time to time. In 2 Kings 17 we read that the people of Israel at times would secretly build for themselves high places in all of their towns. And in this text, we see that Asa did not put away all the false places of false, high places of false worship, which leads us to believe that he could have and he should have. Now, don't get me wrong. Asa did a lot. And the scriptures tell us that the heart of Asa was true to God all of his days. The Bible does not ignore the fact that his heart was in the right place. He had good motivations. He longed to do the right thing. He fought harder than countless other kings who ruled in absolute wickedness. Asa's heart was true to God. And while the Bible tells us that Asa had a good heart, the Scriptures also mention that there were areas of his life that Asa didn't seem to be as concerned about. Areas that he left unattended. And one of those areas, as we have mentioned, that he did not remove was the areas of the high places of worship. Now these high places were offensive to God. For they were altars that were built high on the mountains where the people sacrificed both to God and to false gods. Other theologians note 
that these were shrines used for false, adulterous worship to Baal and the other false gods. Again, we do not know why Asa did not get rid of all the high places, but when the Bible takes special note to specify the fact that Asa did not, we know this is important. We might wonder if Asa felt that with everything else that he had done for God, making a covenant with God, threatening the extreme measure of death to any who would not seek the Lord, and even removing his mother from office, that perhaps he concluded that he didn't need to worry about these smaller things. Remember, he didn't even just get rid of his mother's Asherah image. He cut it down. He crushed it. He burned it at the brook Kidron. And then he removed her from her position. His own mother. But again, for all the good that he did, the scripture notes that important detail that Asa did not remove the high places. And it seems that it is at this point where his relationship with God began to decline. Because we see a change in him. Once a king who cried out for God's help, now we see a king who makes treaties with pagan kings. So first we see a man whose motivations were right, but who seemed to slowly slip into allowing for the high places. And second we see a king who relied on another pagan king over relying on God. You see, Asa found himself in a difficult place. We read that Baasha, king of Israel, was at war with him. Surely he was trying to prevent Asa and his people from having access to Jerusalem for religious or trade reasons, which would naturally distress King Asa. He knew he needed help, and rather than crying out for help to the Lord as he did when facing the million Ethiopians, he handles his problems by making a covenant with a pagan king. Rather than trust in the Lord with all of his heart, he leaned on his own understanding. And in order to outwit the king of Israel, he devised a plan. And that plan, interestingly enough, meant that Asa had to go into the house of the Lord and take out all the treasure of silver and gold to pay the king of Syria to help him defeat his enemy. Let me repeat that again. Asa took the treasure from the house of the Lord, the gold and silver and treasure that had been given to God, offered by his father, by himself and the people, the treasure that represented the results of God's victories. He took it from the house of the Lord and he gave it instead to a pagan king. And Asa wasn't only dipping into the treasures, according to the parallel account in 1 Kings 15, he was emptying out the house of the Lord, taking all the treasure as if God was dead, as if he was not even there to notice. The symbolism of this act is profound. Asa had forgotten his God. He had put him behind and he had put all his hope now in a worldly king, all his treasure in the hands of a worldly king. The theme of this chapter is a deeply negative one, a very troubling one in contrast with his preceding history. Asa went from having faith and trust in God to unbelief. He relied on 
human beings rather than God and failed to seek God as he had done previously. One commentator writes, where Asa had previously relied on God who had delivered him from a mighty army, now he relied on human resources alone. So we see that Asa allowed for high places. Then he made a covenant treaty with a pagan king. And next, we see that he closes himself off from God's word. Now, while working with another king may have appeared as a great strategy, and Asa seems to have benefited strategically from this political decision, we read that God was very displeased with him. And so he sent a prophet to Asa to tell him that God would not overlook this act. And we read, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. He says, Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Here God reminds him how he saved him from the Ethiopians. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Here we see, as in other places in Scripture, that God sends a prophet to speak to his word to the king. But the reaction is not what you would expect. When King David sinned against God with Bathsheba and in the murder of Uriah the Hittite, David heard the word of God in the mouth of prophet Nathan. And immediately he repented from his sins. But in Asa we see a different response. He shows a hardness of heart. He adds to his sin by becoming angry at the prophet for the word that God had spoken. And here we read of the first place where a king persecutes a prophet. Asa locks the prophet in prison, and on top of that, he begins to inflict cruelties on some of the people at that time. So up to this point, we see that King Asa allowed for high places. He entered a treaty with a pagan king. He closed himself off from God, and next we'll see that he further dug in his heels when it came to his illness. We read in verse 12, that Asa had become severely diseased in his feet. Now, many of you know how disease often drives us to repentance. This is what should have happened. The disease in his feet should have driven Asa to repentance, but Asa had become so hardened in his sin that instead of crying out to God for help and asking for relief, he sent for physicians. Now, of course, it is not wrong to go to doctors. We should. But the problem was that he sought out doctors in place of crying out to God. And again, he put human assistance above divine assistance. As with the treaty with the king, the problem here was that he chose other things over and against his covenant God. And then, when rebuked, he refused to repent. Asa died And we do not read of any sign of repentance later in his life. Asa's life began with a passionate and a zealous heart for God. He was a man who eagerly obeyed and trusted God in the most difficult moments in his life. But then, when he was up against the fight of his life, he wholeheartedly cried out to God. But then as time went on, 
we begin, begin to see compromise. He forgets about his need for God. Earlier in Asa's rule, there's no chance that a high place would have existed. Remember, not even his mother had been safe. Asa had zealously destroyed and eliminated all the high places, but as time went on, it appears that more and more high places were sprouting up, ones that he would have been aware of, ones that he let slide. These were gradually, gradual and seemingly small compromises. Then, while there was no war, we see that Asa makes further compromises. He begins to lose sight of God, of his need for God. He needed God for those big wars, for the wars against the Ethiopians when he was young. But now he feels more secure in himself, more capable, and he starts to make his own decisions. He trusts in his own flesh and in his own wisdom. Proverbs 30 illustrates the potential danger of riches and blessings like these. It reads, it reads and this is how the author prays to God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Brothers and sisters, in the life of King Asa, the Lord teaches us the importance of watching and guarding our hearts with all diligence until the very end, until the very last days of our lives, whether we be young or old. And in these chapters, we see many things. Above all, we learn of the deceitfulness of one's heart. While we often fear how the world could cause us harm or how the devil might seek to devour or destroy us, the Scripture also teaches us that we need to guard against our own flesh as well. After all, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Even the great apostle Paul himself wrote, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. See, even Paul recognized that though we are saved by grace through faith, that a living faith must live a godly life. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We must keep and guard our heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And one way we guard our hearts is by being constantly vigilant. For as Jesus taught us, a little sin can go a long way. See, Jesus had taught his disciples that to guard your heart means to be vigilant in these little things. For he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. We cannot become lax in our watchfulness even when it comes to the smaller struggles in life. As we've seen, Asa had an impressive way of following God. He was respectable and honored. He did very difficult things, but there were some areas of, of his obedience to God 
where he was okay being more lax. Areas that he possibly considered to be smaller or less important, maybe insignificant matters like these high places. And I highlight this again and again because we often do the same. And throughout Jesus' ministry, the disciples were warned to guard themselves from the leaven of the Pharisees. For a little leaven leavens the whole dough. And a little bit of false teaching, thinking, or disobedience could spread into their thinking, into their hearts, and into their lives. See, sin, just like leaven, has the same effect in our lives. It spreads and spreads, gradually taking over our hearts, our minds, our actions, and our lives. And it only takes a little leaven. It doesn't take a lot. Just a little bit of corrupting sin. Not a lot. The interesting thing about leaven is that it's basically so tiny, so insignificant, it is invisible to us without the use of a microscope. And yet, it is hard at work transforming the landscape below the surface. And in the same way, even the smallest of sins that seem small and insignificant in our lives can have the same effect in our lives. And the fact is, because we cannot perceive how one small sin in our lives can spread throughout our life, it can be easy to dismiss its power. But just like a spark in a very dry forest can cause complete devastation, so a small spark of sin can bring about terrible and devastating consequences in our lives. Charles Spurgeon explains it this way. Just get one small error into your minds. Get one small evil into your thoughts. Commit one small act of sin in your life. Allow these things to be fondled, favored, petted, and treated with respect. And you cannot tell whereunto they may grow. They are small in their infancy. They will be giants when they come to their full growth. You little know how near your soul may be to destruction when you shamelessly indulge in the smallest act of sin. And to further illustrate his point, he gives us this example. Little sins often act as burglars do. Burglars sometimes take with them a little child. They put the little child into a window that is too small for the adult to enter. And then he goes and opens the door to let in the thieves. So do little sins act. They are but little ones, but they creep in and open the door for great ones. Brothers and sisters, the evil one knows that we are on guard against the larger sins in life. He often doesn't come to us through the front door. He will send in something seemingly insignificant. A sin that seems so harmless and inconsequential that we hardly even pay attention to it. These little sins are no doubt like the high places and Asherah poles that seem to pop up like weeds in Israel and Judah. And if the Old Testament is any indicator of the patterns of humanity, godly people often make allowances for high places in their lives. So what are these smallest of sins that seem insignificant in our lives, 
that we allow in our thoughts, in our hearts, and in our actions. Those things that are bad and evil but seem inconsequential in our lives. That seem insignificant in comparison to the greater sins out there. One day will something like this be said of you? In all of his or her days, he or she did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But nevertheless, his or her cell phone usage was not removed from his life or his TV usage continued to ruin his life, or fill in the blank. What is your high place? Is it your pride? Do you quietly judge those around you? Or is it your anger? Do you find yourself raising your voice so that others have to listen to you? Is it your sarcasm or your coarse joking? Do you you choose to jab others rather than seek reconciliation when you are upset? Or maybe you have those sins under control. You aren't angry or prideful towards others. Instead, your hatred is inward. You hate yourself. You hate how you look. You hate how you sound. You hate everything about yourself. Brothers and sisters, even this, your self-contempt is no more than pride disguised as false humility. Your self-contempt is likely rooted in anger toward God, the belief that He should have made you different than He did because you deserve better than what He has given you. Even this sin can corrupt the whole. Or maybe you allow yourself freedoms at home and in private that you would never dream to allow in front of others. You reason that the language you use, the insults you shovel out, or the things you do in private are not as bad as murder or blasphemy or adultery. And so while you aren't proud of your actions, you deceive yourself into justifying yourself, thinking that at least you're better off than the next guy. Friends, how deceitful are our hearts above all things, desperately wicked. The seemingly small and insignificant sins in our lives will spread. They will take more and more real estate in our hearts and minds and actions. Paul to the Galatian church writes, You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And he concludes by saying, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. As we relax our obedience, even in the small areas of life, they will permeate and will fill the other areas of life. That is why we must, as John Owen writes, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We must be diligent to kill or remove the high places, the areas of our life that we justify as insignificant. And we must hear God's word today and turn to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, the story of the prodigal son is very helpful to illustrate this point. For in this story, a rebellious son asked for his inheritance early, only then to, to squander it in unthinkable ways. With a severe famine in the land, the son has no choice but to return to the father in humiliation and to ask if he could be one of his hired servants. And what makes this parable so powerful is that while the son expects to be rejected and treated like a hired servant, instead what we see is the loving, grace-filled response from the father. 
The father embraces him and celebrates his return, clothing him with the best robe, putting a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and throwing a celebratory banquet. See, this parable is important for us because we need to realize that it is a picture of how we expect God to react to our repentance from our sinfulness and waywardness, and a picture of how God actually reacts to our repentance. We need to hear this because God does call us to absolute obedience. He calls us to be holy as He is holy, to be perfect as He is perfect. He wants us to be watchful and to guard our heart from slipping into sinful ways, to be faithful in little, and to be killing sin. He wants us to do these things. We should fear God. We should fear growing hardened in our sin as Asa did. And at the same time, it is essential that we also remember that God is for us. The God is after our heart. He wants us to know that while He calls us to absolute holiness, He also surrounds us with His compassion and love. He offers us help to be our strength. See, the hardships we face and the struggles we struggle with are meant to drive us outside of ourselves to the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. In these struggles together with Paul, we can exclaim, Ah, wretched man that I am! God in His love will convict us and break us from trusting in our own flesh. We are corrected through the hearing of His Word. And that is why we need His Word so badly. And I encourage you to sign up for some plan together with your brothers or sisters to read the Word this year, to be committed to it. Because the Word and the Spirit convict us and drive us to repentance and to God where we need to be. Because remember, Asa, on the other hand, he turned away from God's Word. He despised the word of the Lord and locked that prophet in jail, refusing to repent from his sin and his heart hardened toward all those around him. Brothers and sisters, let us not backslide, but turn instead from our sins. This begins with the power of the Spirit and the hearing of God's word. And that includes us taking seriously the call to remove those high places that you have allowed to exist in your life up to this day. Today, repentance means you not only think about this message, but that you take action. That you create a plan. That you would write down a takeaway from this message that actually has teeth. That you will actually act upon. That you would not simply bemoan the sins in your life but that you would consider today what you will do to cut down your Asherah, how you will take action to tear down your high places and crush them and burn them, to destroy them completely. And if or when they reappear, you crush them again and do not offer them a space in your life. Remember, it was over time that Asa let down his guard against sin. He let things slide. And like David or the prodigal son, if he had repented from his sin, he would have had a much different outcome, a much happier story, a story of repentance and forgiveness. 
May the life of Asa remind us that more than doing our jobs or leading our families or succeeding in our workplaces, which are all important, God wants us to come to Him first and foremost. He wants us for Himself. He wants us to repent from our sins and to turn to Him for help. And that is why He gave us Jesus. So as we conclude and consider the life of Asa, may we consider how he started out strong in his faith, seeking the Lord with all his heart. And then how he ended, hardened, unrepentant, and distant from God. And may we learn from this warning to be careful to hear and respond and to put to destruction the high places in our lives, repenting from sin and turning to God who is our help. For Jesus calls us, he beckons us to bring our struggles before him, to come to him as he waits with open arms ready to clothe us in his righteousness and his love. Turn to your gracious Lord who is faithful and steadfast, for he who began a good work in you will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. Father, for you have shown us in the people of Israel, your covenant people, how they time and time again backslid and fell into allowing small sins to dwell in their lives. And Father, how you repeatedly called them to repentance and how some did turn and repent but others did not. We pray, Father, that we would learn from this, that we would not reject your word that is spoken even today, and that we would turn and repent from even those things that we consider to be small in our eyes, for they are not small in yours. Lord, help us to be killing sin by the power of your Holy Spirit, for you had freed us, Lord. You have freed us from the power of sin over us through Christ Jesus. Be with us, Uh, this morning and in this new year, that we may glorify you with our lives. For we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.